electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me, Jim Kramer. This market keeps climbing an immense wall of worry. That's one reason the rally won't quit. Even if we occasionally get some sedate days like today, Dow advanced 55 points, and the S&P declined 0.08%, NASDAQ did 0.22%. I bring up the wall of worry because we have a huge number of strategists who came out this very morning offering all sorts of mumbo-jumbo about what the companies, the S&P 500, could earn in the aggregate and what we should pay for those aggregate earnings. Hey, good exercise, but to take a top-down approach based on the macro, while I prefer to focus on individual companies. It is mad money. We like companies. We like stocks. For example, perhaps the most ferocious brick in the wall of worry is the bond market. Every day for months, we came in and watched the bonds. If they were going down in price and up in yield, and most of the time they were, we knew that stocks were toast. We had a stunning ramp up in Treasury yields that seemed endless. It was torture. The house of pain. Everyone wanted to flee the stock market for bonds. They just didn't know if they should buy bonds now or even later, when presumably, of course, the yields would be even higher. And then the unthinkable happened. Treasury yields hit a wall. And then they actually went down. We got a later report that it didn't show great wage inflation which made us feel a lot less worried about that recent red-hot 4.9% GDP growth number. Then the Fed made it sound like it was an open question whether they'd hit us with more rate hikes. And the Treasury said they planned to sell far fewer long-term bonds than people expected, taking care of the problem on the long end of the yield curve where there was a giant glut. Next thing you know, bonds soared in price and plummeted in yield. Of course, if rates are peaking, then forget bonds. You just need to own stocks. Just remember the dictum of the late, great Marty Zweig, one of my investing aisles, who said, don't fight the Fed. If the Fed's raising rates and you buy stocks, you're fighting the Fed. If the Fed's done tightening and you own stocks, then the Fed is your friend. Bye, bye, bye. If the Fed's going to cut rates, then it's a lovable bull that anyone can ride. So you get a phenomenon where bears convert to bulls en masse like they did for tech last week. And when that happens, there just isn't enough stock to go around. You just, it, it just disappears at the top. That's why you need to anticipate the buy, meaning you need to anticipate the Federal Reserve's next move. I'm not saying you should wait until it's safe for the Fed to cut rates. Uh-uh. You just need to feel confident that they're done tightening. I think the data we're going to see this week, including tomorrow's CPI, will make it clear that they've more or less won the fight against inflation, which means they're no longer fighting the bulls. Second word, the war between Israel and Hamas has the world on edge, the murderous rampage in Israel, the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, the hostages who it seems like everybody's forgotten about, the inability to keep civilians out of the crossfire in a counterinsurgency operation. It's all awful, every bit of it. 
We're all waiting to see how wide this conflict gets, and our government's very much involved, carrying out a- another air- round of airstrikes against targets tied to Iran and Syria. Apparently, we need to protect our outposts in Syria. Not that anybody knew we had outposts in Syria a month ago. I know this can be a divisive issue, but people care about it a great deal, and they find it impossible to believe that a war in the Middle East doesn't impact our stock market. However, the market's really all about earnings and interest rates. Right now, the conflict isn't impacting earnings, as Gaza is too small and economically inconsequential. It isn't impacting bonds either, because it hasn't done anything to oil. Saudi Arabia and Russia haven't stopped pumping, and our country's producing crude in record amounts. You can't expect the bond market to be worried or sad because people are dying. The bond market is a tin man. Don't ask it to have a heart. Then we had a giant piece of the wall of worry called earnings. Given that the Fed seemed like it was on the verge of causing a hard landing, many believed earnings season could be just an unmitigated disaster. It would be the so-called last good quarter. There were plenty of bears shorting pretty much everything, just as they're still shorting Target and Home Depot and other retailers that report this week. I can think of a host of stocks that were heavily shorted going into earnings. My favorite to watch, of course, is Apple, one of my two own-it-don't-trade-it situations. The other's NVIDIA. New chips announced today for NVIDIA. Now, how do people feel about Apple before the quarter? Why don't we just use a real-life example to make it clear? On October 3rd, KeyBank downgraded the stock of Apple. They said the valuation was too high versus historical levels. To me, that meant nothing because Apple used to be a hardware company, but now it's got a huge service revenue stream that's nearly bigger than wearables, iPads, and computers put together. U.S. sales were supposed to be struggling. International growth was suspect. Both came out kind of true. But you see, they weren't disasters. Plenty of countries had record sales. Apple did great in China's biggest cities. Everyone was terrified that business would collapse thanks to a poorly understood government crackdown on iPhone users. But Apple actually gained share in China. Gained share. Yep, in the end, the quarter was much better than feared. If you sold the stock beforehand, well, you did have this chance to buy it. It, it, Right post-guidance, but the window closed very quickly. Memo to Brandon Nispel, CFA at KeyBank. You come at the king, you best not miss. Finally, you have the brick of worry that is Washington, which feels like it should be a huge bear coming right at you. They know nothing! Washington doesn't like China. Washington spends like a drunken sailor. Washington regularly wants to shut down the government with temper tantrums that remind me of my children when they were five, except my kids got horse sense. Washington should bring everything down. But here's the thing. The key pain points with Washington, too many government bond auctions in the last year's Cold War with China, simply didn't pan out negatively. The U.S. Treasury figured out that it should issue far fewer long-term bonds than people expected, creating short-term uh, short squeeze. As for China, all of a sudden, President Xi's coming to San Francisco, and President Biden's going out to meet him. Well, that doesn't sound like a prelude to war to me. Does it to you? Although the Communist uh, Party has had a nasty habit of reneging on pretty much every promise it makes to us. Here's the bottom line. There are a ton of other bricks in the wall of worry. But the ones I just mentioned are the ones that were supposed to cause us to stumble and fall. Turned out the bricks couldn't stop the bulls. I'm sure the wall worry will be rebuilt again. Right now, though, it is just what the bull vet ordered. John in New York, John. Jim, my question is regarding a beauty stock whose chart is not so beautiful. With exposure to China, what are your thoughts on Estee Lauder? Estee Lauder is a disaster. We have a conference call on Wednesday. Uh, for the club, and I will once again say, look, it was a terrible stock. It used to be a great stock, and I think Fabrizio Freda um, is not doing a good job, and they've got the wrong, uh, 
You got the wrong lineup. So I think that the answer is I, I can't ask you to touch it when I'm going to slam it on Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday at noon. How about Paul, my old home state of Pennsylvania? What, Paul. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing well, Paul. Have, How about you? I'm doing good. I have a question on Dime Brand. Sure. D-I-N. Yeah, you see, the problem with Dime Brands, we have a bifurcation in the restaurants. There's, there's Chipotle, okay, and there's Brinker, and there is Darden. Uh, Texas Roadhouse. And then there's a lot of others in the lower end that are just doing terrible. And Dine Brands is one of them. I don't know what to make of it other than I don't want to be in it. It's just not what I'm looking for because it doesn't have growth. Let's go to Elizabeth in Florida, please. Elizabeth. Hi. Happy holidays. Oh, Uh, thank you, Elizabeth. Same. I just wanted to know what are your thoughts overall for ServiceNow? ServiceNow hit an all-time high today. And you know what? It should. They are one of the few companies that has actually used uh, artificial intelligence and made money. They got some amazing federal contracts. They are in a lot. I saw Jensen Wong speaking with Bill McDermott. It was fantastic. I think Bill's doing a great job, and I think the stock deserves that. I wish it were down a little so I could tell you bye, bye, bye. Let's go to Charles in Connecticut, please. Charles. Hi, Jim. I'm calling you about AbbVie. I was trying to get an idea of what your thoughts on that were. So the problem with AbbVie, they do have a bit of a hole. I think they're trying to make it up, but they have a Umira hole. That's one of the, that's the greatest selling drug of all time. To, in order to make it so that if they're biosimilars that make it so that there's competition, they have to migrate people to new drugs. I think they can do it, but I really like to hear from them to come on the show because they are in permanent quiet period. And it makes no sense given the fact that they have a lot of people's money that they're that they're managing. So it, it by being the owners of the company. So I do invite them on, Mr. Gonzalez, right here next week. Come on, say yes. Right, it turns out that event, uh, the most worrying bricks in the wall of worry could not stop the bulls. No, no, no. I'm sure the wall of worry will be rebuilt and we have to scale it again. Right now, it's just what the bull vet ordered. Oh, man, money tonight. We were lucky enough to be joined by some of West Point's finest in a special Veterans Day show last week, and we had some amazing questions from cadets. That, well, you know, that we're taking more of them because, boy, you can't just put these guys down. They are too fabulous. And how much have they done to serve our country? Then oil's been clobbered the last few weeks, so what could the end of the year hold, and what impact could it have on the stock market? I'm going off the charts to find out. And F1 is heading stateside ahead of this weekend's Las Vegas Grand Prix. I'm getting an inside track on the state of the business from our own Sarah Eisen, ahead of CNBC's documentary that premieres this Thursday at 8 p.m. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last week, we had one of my favorite Mad Money shows of the year. It was our Veterans Day salute to service. I always appreciate the chance to take time to honor all those who serve our country. On Friday, we were joined by a very special group of cadets from the Finance Club at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. They visited us here in our neck of the woods many times and have graciously hosted us at West Point, which we just love. Wish we'd go back soon enough. Can't. It was one of the greatest honors to spend the day on the magnificent story campus. Look out, Annapolis. That place has game. All right, these guys are the best and the brightest, and they had so many brilliant questions. We didn't have time for them all on Friday. So we're bringing them to you today. I want to thank them again for joining us and for their service to our great country. Take a look. All right, who wants to kick things off? Hi, I'm Cadet Connor Chang from Santa Rosa, California. Hey, Jim. Despite the recent success of NVIDIA, other chip stocks just haven't been performing as well. You got that right. What sets NVIDIA apart from the rest of the sector? Okay, NVIDIA is a unique company because what they are are really about is two things. They're about power, but they're about heat. People don't realize that. Jensen Wong is the CEO. He is all about making the coolest chips run that run the most powerful. The other ones would just use, consume all the electricity of the grid. <laughs> so, they, they suck it up. So what, what he's done is really rather rather remarkable is combine a chip that actually pays off the day it gets there because it's not doesn't run hot, but it is so powerful it can go through. It can be equal to like hundreds of other chips. So what it really is is just a distillation that makes it so it can move so quickly that it can answer hundreds of thousands of questions in a nanosecond. Nobody else has that. One day maybe people will catch up, but right now no one's near NVIDIA. No one for speed and for heat. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Absolutely. Go Assassins. <laughs> How are you? Good, sir. I'm Cadet Stephen Houck from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. So recently, we're seeing uh, large cap stocks hit their 52-week low. We got Dollar General, PayPal, Disney, Hershey, just to name a few. 
Do you feel that this is short-term headwinds, or do you think investors have a right to be so bearish? Great question. And I, I tried to tackle it the other day by saying that diversification doesn't seem to be working because a lot of these companies just are doing badly in every single industry. What really is about, though, is that if interest rates were to start coming down, you'd see almost every one of those stocks go higher. So you have to stay diversified. We don't know when rates are necessarily going to peak. But you're right. I mean, those companies all have headwinds. Uh, whether it be the food stocks because of, the, of these new weight loss drugs. You know, that, that's why Hershey hit 52-week low with that kind of thing. At Abbott Labs and medical devices. Uh, Post-COVID, this business went down. Everybody, everything seems to have a negative story associated to it. But when everything's brought down, that's when we have to look for opportunity. Right now, the biggest opportunity, though, remains in tech and in some of the big cap stocks that are definitely winners, like a Costco, like a Walmart. And then, of course, the Magnificent Seven, which we invented here on the show. It's still looking pretty good. Thanks, Jim. Hey, Jim. Cadet William Canodo from Charlotte, North Carolina. How are you? My question for you is, what's the case for active management when most active managers outperform, excuse me, underperform benchmarks like the S&P over a 10-year period? Okay. I think it, uh, the answer is, is that if they didn't take in so much money, they could outperform. I was a, a manager, and I did triple the S&P, but that's because I didn't take a lot of money in. They are always either, many of these are in, they're in sell mode, or they take in so much because they're good that it ruins their performance. If they would just not be greedy and take in less money, they could do much better. But that's not the nature of the business, and that's why they don't do that well. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Hey, Jim. My name is Cadet Greg Herma from Upper Saddle River, New Jersey. Okay. My question for you is that I've held Google for almost like over 10 years now. Okay. Do you believe that it still has upside potential as an industry leader and with their large investment in artificial intelligence? Okay. I think that, that it's a challenge company. I'll tell you why. Because these... They'll, they keep pivoting. They pivoted to cloud. It was good for about a year and a half, and then cloud peaked. They, they pivot to NFL football. It looks like they're losing money in NFL football. They, they pivot to something that compete against, uh, against the artificial intelligence that, that Microsoft has. Meanwhile, they should be throwing some more money behind their own artificial intelligence. They're not putting enough in. All, all that said, it's an inexpensive stock that uh, if it were staying focused on YouTube alone, would be worth a great deal more. And so that's what you have to do. Actually would be worth more broken up than it is together. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hi, Jim. Uh, Mitch Jim and Jackson Collier from the United States Naval Academy. Um, Naval Academy? I, I thought we had mostly uh, the uh, Army Yes, here. sir. Yes, sir. Uh, beat Army. Um, with Rivian's uh, recent quarterly reports um, a couple days ago, how do you see this company going forward in the EV market? It's the only one that can possibly make it. The other guys are all going to have, they should all get together and create, you know, one, uh, one giant company that loses a lot of money. Rivian has enough money to be able to last for a while. They obviously had enough choice to be even say, listen, we're not going to just do business with Amazon. But that doesn't mean I want to own it. I don't, I mean, other than Tesla, I find these companies are really challenged. And, you know, you've got interest rates uh, high. You've got the consumer not doing that well. You have the companies that actually would buy by uh, a Rivian for, to be able to handle the roots, they're not doing that well. So what happens is if the customers aren't doing that well, then your company can't do that well. And that's the story with Rivian. Well, thanks to these amazing cadets for joining us here at the Stock Exchange for your great questions and your service. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, will an oil rally also rally the markets writ large? Kramer barrels off the charts to find out next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It's incredible how quickly conventional wisdom can change with something that we used to take as gospel. For years, higher oil prices were considered good news for the stock market. Tons of algorithmically driven traders would buy stocks when oil went up and sell them when it went down. Why? Because when oil is going up, it usually means the economy is getting stronger. Most of the time, investors love a strong economy. We used to root for oil rallies. It was an article of faith that they were good news. This year, though, we're terrified of oil rallies because Wall Street's not worried about the state of the economy. It's worried about what the Fed might have to do in order to beat inflation. The same traders who used to automatically buy stocks every time oil went up now automatically sell stocks for the same reason. Ever since the Fed started raising interest rates, we, we've kind of in a bit of good news is bad news environment where you want a softer economy because it means the Fed can stop bringing the pain. But now it looks like we're nearing the end of this tightening cycle. And if that's the case, pretty soon good news will stop being bad news. At that point, will oil rally still crush the stock market? That's an important question. So what are we going to do? We're going to go off the charts tonight with the help of Larry Williams. He's the pioneering technician and market historian who's been the top expert in this space since before I, before I could drive. Larry's written over a dozen books, created a ton of proprietary technical indicators. We all use them. More important, he's the guy who warned us that August in the book of September would be awful. The last time we heard from him, he said that the beaten down market should make a major turn higher. When? By the end of October. And that's exactly when stocks bottom before this uh, month's remarkable run. It, it, this was an awesome call that he just made. Larry saw the November rebound coming by looking at the action in the Dow Jones Industrial Average going back many years, then searching for cycles that seemed to repeat themselves over and over again. And now he spotted something else, a historic pattern related to oil. Specifically, he thinks that West Texas crude could soon rebound substantially. And at this time, he expects the good news for the stock market. It'll be good as good. If we had another cooler than expected consumer price index number, then he thinks it's going to be right on track. First, though, why does Williams see oil headed higher? Because he's found a surprisingly reliable way to predict its trajectory. Take a look at the chart showing West Texas crude in black and the most dominant cycle, a dominant collection of active cycles at work in red. That's his cycle forecast based on, on oil's past action. We're looking at the period from 2007 through 2014 here, and you can see that, generally speaking, crude has followed the cycle wave pretty closely. The moves aren't always on the same scale, but in terms of the direction, this cycle forecast rarely led you astray. Dominant cycle red, West Texas and black. The same holds true when you look at oil versus its cycle forecast from 2014 until 2021. When the cycle turned negative in 2014, that would have let you get out of one of the worst declines in oil history. When the cycle turned positive in early 2016, that was the terrific sign to buy because the bottom was at hand. We got another powerful sell signal from Williams cycle, uh, Williams cycle forecast at the beginning of 2020, right before COVID shut down the whole economy and parts of the oil futures market went uh, briefly traded below zero. Finally, a cycle forecast turned positive a few weeks before oil bottom started making a miraculous comeback. What a call. All right. So what does Larry's cycle forecast tell us about West Texas crude right now? Okay, now I want you to take a look at the same chart from 2021 through the present moment, with the cycle wave in red extended into next year. If the commodity keeps following the cycle forecast, and that's what it does pretty reliably, then Williams predicts that we'll soon see an oil rally. Maybe November, maybe December, but likely through the whole first quarter of 2024 once it happens. That's a lot of good time. Here's where it gets really interesting. Before, because the cycle wave for oil doesn't just do a good job of predicting the price of crude, Williams has found that it's also positively correlated with, yes, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. 
Remember, historically higher oil prices are seen as good news for the stock market. We went over that, except for periods where the Fed's tightening and Wall Street's rooting for a slowdown. If you look at the action of Dow Jones Industrial Average from 2006 through 2016, 10 years, with Larry's crude oil cycle forecast in red, you can see something interesting. While the Dow doesn't follow the oil cycle wave as closely as the price of crude, big turning points in Larry's oil cycle often single big turning points in the Dow. Okay, dominant cycle's black. Big turning points in the Dow. If anything, the oil cycle looks like it's a leading indicator for the stock market here. When you look at the same chart from 2015 through 2022, you see a very similar pattern. Once again, Williams points out that his oil cycle wave has an admirable record of telling us in advance when to expect rallies and sell-offs in the stock market. In fact, that positive correlation even held true last year when the Fed started tightening aggressively and Wall Street began to fear higher oil prices. Now let's check out, uh, why don't we zoom, zoom in look at the Dow in black with the oil cycle forecast in red. So this is really the crux of what we're talking about here, right? This time running from late 2021 through April of next year. So we're doing predictive here. Looking forward, Williams notes again that his oil cycle is about to turn positive. And if the powerful correlation here holds, that means the Dow should be able to keep roaring. When? Likely till April. In the end, we could be looking at an oil rally, right, as Wall Street stops wishing for a weaker economy. Plus, Williams has found a ridiculously reliable correlation here that seems to work even when it really shouldn't. As I always tell you when you're dealing with historical patterns, you don't always need to know why they work. You only need to know that they have a high probability of working again. Bottom line, the charts interpreted by Larry Williams suggest that oil's ready to mount a sustained rally after getting clobbered for the last few weeks. And based on this reading of history, that should be true for the stock market. <coughs> Let's just hope the Federal Reserve doesn't get spooked into continuing to tighten, because that would be very bad news for stocks. Let's take some phone calls. <coughs> I'm sorry. Let's go to Jordan in Wisconsin. Jordan. Hey, Jim. This is Jordan. And Jake. Calling from Madison, Wisconsin. First time, long time. Booyah, Jim. I like that. First time in long time. We need some more of those. What's up? <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Uh, I've been checking my position on oil futures recently, and with all the troubles in the Middle East, I was curious how it affects my long-term exposure. Well, I mean, I think the amazing thing is, is that oil's not going up with oil problems in the Middle East. Oil's trading on supply and demand. The United States is pumping out <clears throat> 13.2. Russia's flooding the world. Saudi Arabia seems to think that there's no level that, this, uh, that oil w- w- will hurt. And so they're putting in a lot. So my take is, look out. This is not a good time for the oil market. It's going to go lower. And after that, after it reaches the bottom, which should be in a couple of months, then you'll start getting, doing okay. Let's go to Barbara in New Jersey. Barbara. Hey, Jim. It's Barbara from the New Jersey Sewer. I love your show. I just want to oh, tell you. Oh, thank you, Barbara. Thank you. Thanks. I'm currently equal weighted between Tesla and Exxon. Should I keep it this way or should I be looking elsewhere? I like that. I mean, I've got to tell you, Tesla's right now hot as a pistol. It bottomed. It's clearly going higher. Uh, it's obviously it's a play on EV. Uh, Exxon's the opposite. I think you're well hedged. And I think that the reason why you're OK to be well hedged is because Exxon's got a good dividend and can do very well regardless because it made a very good acquisition of Pioneer. The charts as interpreted by Larry Williams suggest that oil's ready to mount a sustained rally at getting clobbered for the last few weeks. And based on his reading of history, that should be terrific for the stock market. What's more mad money at? CNBC is out with a new documentary this Thursday. It's called Inside Track, the business of Formula One. So I'm learning more from our own Sarah Eisen. 
about what she saw and what you can expect from the profile on the global sports phenomena. Now, Wall Street has been laser focused on these new weight loss drugs, but analysts are getting skeptical about the impact. I'm sharing where I come down on the debate, and of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. I'm getting in the car with Toto Wolf. Are you ready? The CEO, co-owner, and team principal of the Mercedes AMG Petronas F1 team. You have to make sure my seatbelt is right. I've never, I don't think, gone more than 90 miles per hour or 80. Today, we'll go more than twice that fast on what's called a hot lap. Let's do a proper burnout. One loop around a Formula One track during a race weekend. It's be so exciting. That's a sneak preview of Sarah Eisen's new documentary, Inside Track, the business of Formula One. Now, this comes on Thursday night at 8 p.m. Formula One is among the fastest growing sports out there. The younger people says it's the fastest. And it's got something big coming up with this weekend's inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix. So let's take a closer look with Squawk on the Street co-anchor and the host of this amazing documentary, Sarah Eisen. Sarah, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. I'm so happy to be here. Well, how scared were you? I was, you could tell I had to close my eyes. What you couldn't see is that I also threw my legs up on the dashboard because I was trying to ground myself. We went, we went 180 and you've been in fast cars. Yep. Like my stomach dropped. But, I mean, it was a blast. It was fun. I had a rush all day long. And I think what it showed is just F1 does hospitality like nobody else. That they can give these VIPs experiences like that is pretty special. Okay, so when we see you, uh, you will be out in Las Vegas, right? And you'll be doing. Now, can you give us a sense about how big this is? Because Vegas is used to a lot of big things, but apparently this is bigger than anything they've ever had. It's bigger than every, anything they've ever had. And just to give you... A sense of that. Vegas is also going to host the Super Bowl right. this season, and expectations are that F1 is going to bring in double the revenues that the Super Bowl is going to bring to the Vegas economy—1.3 billion dollars. It's big. They're expecting more than 100,000 people. Liberty Media, the parent company of Formula One, is investing more than half a billion dollars in this, and that's what they're going for—the spectacle. They are trying to cement. F1's place in America. It's been a big growth story for the sport. They added a race in Miami on top of Austin, right. Texas, and now Vegas. It doesn't get bigger than that. Well, I'm hearing that if you can get a room, say, at the Wynn, which my travel trust owns, that apparently it's like un- these were reserved a year ago for this race. It's, I, don't, I don't know that they actually ever opened it up to the public. In terms it was of sold the, out from the day they thought of it? In an encore because there are, just, there are so many corporate partners right. that are involved in Formula One and blocking hundreds of room rates for this, I think you have to pay a million dollars, Jim. They had this million dollar package that they offered for six people that includes all sorts of experiences around the race, but also a slot. Well, this must be something great for for Liberty Media, which I know got a pretty good return in their investment here. So Liberty Media bought F1 about six years ago. They paid $8 billion, which everyone, and Greg Maffei, the CEO of Liberty, told me in this piece, everyone thought it was a rich price then. But now enterprise value is multiples of that. He says it's not for sale. It's one of the things we look at in the documentary, Jim, is, is how they managed to transform what was a kind of sleepy motorsport that was popular in Europe and South America into a more mainstream, fast-growing sport in America. And it was all really Liberty rethinking the entire business. But didn't this Netflix 
uh, yes, show really help? Well, that was this part of the strategy is they let the cameras inside. They inked this deal with Netflix in 2019. Then the world shut down. We're all at right. home binge watching Drive to Survive, the docuseries. And what was so smart about that, and I don't know if they realized just how big it would be, is they took the helmets off. All of a sudden, these drivers became personalities and celebrities, and there was drama among the drivers and the team principals. And now you've got teams that aren't that great, like Haas, which we followed right. around. Gunther Steiner, who's their team principal, he became a breakout star of Drive to Survive. He curses all the time. He's hilarious. And now he's able to secure big sponsorships with, with companies like Chipotle because it's much more known and well, people are into it. But let me ask you, it's also, it's got the great demographic. It's got teens. It's got people in 20s. But it also has people who are just starting out. Your kids are fans. My kids. That's how I got into all of this. Really? I just wanted to look cool for my kids, as we do. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I have a five-year-old and a four-year-old. They are obsessed. They know every driver. They know every team. They know all the statistics. And when you're into F1, it's not just about the races. You watch the practice on Friday. You watch the qualifying round on Saturday and then the race on Sunday. This is a sport that has 23 races per season. So basically every weekend or every other weekend in my house is spent watching Formula One. But I knew there was something big there that young people were into right. it. But it really is an amazing business story, too, of how Liberty's transformed it and how teams have become much more profitable and more valuable and attracted businesses that we talk about every day on CNBC. Now, uh, give me a couple because, you know, I'm a stock guy. And who's got the logos? Who's spending on this? And is there a rate of return? Because we used to hear that NASCAR had a great rate of return. I I'm not so sure that it's anywhere even near what what's happened with this phenomenon. It's hard to measure the rate of return, but I will tell you there are it's, it's all the companies we know and talk about. So Salesforce is a title sponsor of F1, AWS of Amazon, Heineken, Rolex. It's a lot of brands that they're not just B2C. They're not just catering to the consumer. Some of them are, and they're getting a lot of exposure this way, but a lot of them are business to business because it attracts such sort of an elite, high income and corporate crowd. And then on the teams themselves, Red Bull, for instance, has Oracle as a title sponsor. A lot of people think the fortunes turned around for Red Bull. They're now. I think the, the fortunes turned around for Oracle, by the way. Oh, for Oracle, too. Yeah. Well, that helps, too. I saw Larry Ellison at the race in Miami. Um, they are a tech sponsor. And it's interesting, Jim, it's not just a sticker on the car. It's not just a title. They also work, a lot of these, these tech firms and a lot of the other sponsors, they work with the teams to advance the technology and engineering behind the cars. Palantir, for instance, works with Ferrari. And they're taking all the data from the races and they're using it and they're using their AI and they're trying to give Ferrari a faster, more aerodynamic car. It's really interesting how thoughtful a lot of these teams are when it comes to partnering up. Goldman Sachs, you wouldn't think of them. Why are they a sponsor of McLaren? Well, the McLaren team boss, and full disclosure, CNBC is also a sponsor of McLaren. The McLaren team boss went to David Solomon and said, what do you need? What can help your business? And Solomon said, we need to give our clients money can't buy experiences. Guess what? F1 has a lot of that. Goldman Sachs is on the McLaren car, and they get plenty of seats at the races where they can bring their top clients to all of these experiences. Well, this is going to be a fabulous business story. It's going to be very exciting for everybody who likes cars. I, I want to, as, as my, my colleague, I want to congratulate Thank you for you, what Jeff. I think is going to be an awesome show. Again, Thursday at 8 p.m. Congratulations Thank on you, everything you do every day I, and for I this program in particular. You are a friend.
I'm proud to be friend. a friend. Thank you. That's Sarah Eisen, co-anchor of Squawk on the Street and host of this upcoming documentary you just heard about. It's called Inside Track, The Business of Formula One. I don't think you want to miss this thing Thursday at 8 p.m. Whether you like stocks, whether you like cars, whether you like action, I think it's got it all. Man, money's back here for the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Crazy Robert Stewart, Charles Maryland. Charles. Yes, good evening. How are you today, sir? I am good, Charles. How are you doing? Good, good. Just wanted to ask a quick question regarding uh, the recent deterioration of the energy market and things not looking so well in that arena. What are your thoughts in respect to energy transfer in comparison to... Okay, energy transfer is you know, very much more stable. It's a pipeline company. I like the fact that the stock has been able... Hey, by the way, there was a lot of insider trying a long time ago. Sorry, but I like the fact that the yield's almost 10%. It's terrific. Let's go to Mitchell in Texas. Mitchell. Hey, Kramer. How are you, man? I am good. How are you, Mitchell? I'm doing wonderful. Hey, this company that I want to ask about just announced that they're going to split into six different companies. And I think with the forward PE under 10... That's a good opportunity for those shares to appreciate once they actually do split. What do you think about Alibaba? All right, for a trade, I'll endorse Alibaba, but I will not endorse anything for an investment in China because it's been a disaster. Let's go to Doris in Oregon. Doris. Hi, Jim. Hi, Doris. I'm a fan calling you from wine country, beautiful Oregon. Oh, my God. I love those Pinot Noirs. What's happening? Yes. Thank you for teaching us Kramer's Market Dictionary. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, George. Um, okay, I looked at Lithium companies, chose Lithium America at 35 a share, and then GM invested $650 million, and then it tanked. What happened? I can't sell? recommend you know, It doesn't make money. It's a speculative stock. I'm going to have to pass on it, Doris. I'd rather have, really, a couple good cases of, uh, of, of Pinot Noir more than that thing. Let's go to Walter in New Jersey. Even bad Pinot Noir. Let's go to Walter in New Jersey. Walter. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Walter. I was calling in about Crown Castle. It's had a precipitous drop in the past two years of 50%. And in the past two months, three months, it's gone down 20%. The fundamentals look good. The cash flow looks good. Is there anything I should be worried about? Well, I do think that people feel that the phone companies are hobbled. I disagree with them. I think at this level, the 6% yield, I'm with you. I would buy the stock. Let's go to Richard in California. Richard. Richard. Hey, Jim. Hey, Richard. Thank you. I've been in the market for 35 plus years, and sometimes I come across a stock that really just does not reflect the value of the company under the radar. This to me has always been a great time to buy shares. This company just reported blowout earnings on all matrix. AI division revenue is up 220%. Raised 23 guidance three times this year. You had the CEO on your show about 30 days ago. It was a great interview. I believe the stock is a screaming buy. Radnick. Oh, I totally agree with you. And let me give you a twofer. I think what he said made me be able to go buy even more of GE Healthcare because he thinks that there you are the largest client. You got two winners there. I salute you for watching the show. Bill in Massachusetts. Bill. Booyah, Mr. Karema. Wow. Booyah, Bill. What's up? 
How are you this evening? I'm good. I'm hanging in. How about you? Fantastic. I'm a club member having a great time with the club. It's a blast. I'll see you Wednesday for our monthly call. I'll be there. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. I wanted your your, uh, opinion on a company. I've been doing my homework like you tell us to do. When I found a uh, a digital data infrastructure company that I was interested in, the name of the company is Vertiv Holdings. Oh, Vertiv, you've got it. When David Faber was asking me today about who should be involved in the data center, okay, who should be involved in the mix, it's Vertiv, yes. And Dave Cody is the chairman, and they are hitting it out of the park. You have a winner there. Let's go to Brent and oh, Oregon again. Brent. Hey, hi, Jim. This is Brent, and I'm calling to let you know that uh, you and your team fantastic. I've learned more from you than anybody else in the world except my parents. Wow! And uh, you've been a you've been a fantastic help to me. Oh, and, thank you. And I'm 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 going to know if I've got horses or I'm going to get run over by a train. Okay. I'm I'm lightweight industry in my portfolio, and I've been buying some Rockwell Automation, and I would really like to know if that's something that I should keep buying. It's a great question. It's a great question because they did miss the quarter. Now, they had made their quarter multiple times, and we've had Blake on. He's a terrific guy. I think it is bottoming here, but I have to tell you, you, normally I would wait to see another quarter because that quarter was a miss. But the stock has come down a great deal, and I'm okay with it. Let's go to Jeff in New York. Jeff. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good, Jeff. What's going on? Not too much. I was just wondering, so... With John Chen gone, uh, recent buyout offer from Veritas, uh, cybersecurity so important in the world today, and with BlackBerry's portfolio tech and patents, what do you think of them at this price, BlackBerry? I was correct in saying for the last, I don't know how many points, that I would stay away from it. Um, at this point, I, as a bear, I'm going to be willing to throw in the towel and say enough. If you want to buy it for three bucks as a speculation, I'm not going to fight you on it. But I've been right for 15 points. That's where I started hating it. I'm not going to hate a $3 stock. How about we go to Bob in Florida? Bob. Uh, Booyah, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure, Bob. What's up? Yeah, good to talk to you. I want to get your opinion about a company in the aviation leasing business. Got good fundamentals. All the analysts that cover it have either a buy or a strong buy on it, but I want your opinion on Aircap Holdings. It's a very good company. It's a very good company, and I'll tell you, if you went away and played travel, it is not an airline. That is the way to do it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up. A new cohort of wonder drugs could change the game for a host of stocks. Don't miss Kramer's take on the best one yet. Next. This weekend, we got some amazing data from Novo Nordisk at the American Heart Association meeting. Now, this is data on their new diabetes and weight loss drug market is both Ozempic and Wagovi. What they found is that there were 20% fewer instances of major adverse cardiac events among the target population that took the drug. Then this morning, a bunch of analysts popped out and said, these results aren't enough to move the needle. 
meaning they won't convince insurance companies to pay for this revolutionary new class of drugs beyond diabetes? I think these analysts are insane. Remember, I've been very close to this story because we own Eli Lilly for the charitable trust, and it's been one of our biggest winners. Why? Because other than Novo Nordisk, they're the only ones with this kind of drug, which is marketed as Munjaro for diabetes, and we just found out Zepbound for obesity. This thing can cause dramatic weight loss, as much as 18% of your body mass. I prefer the stock of Lilly because Novo Nordisk formulation only gives you a 15% reduction, meaning Lilly's drug is a lot cheaper. We will talk more about it at Wednesday's Investing Club meeting at noon. I do hope you will join the club, at least tune into the meeting. So when I see analysts talking about how insurance companies won't pay for revolutionary weight loss drugs, I want to scream. They look at the list price of the average patient with obesity, then figure the drugs will be too expensive versus the savings to the system from a healthier customer base. But not all patients are created equal. And I think there are many groups that the insurance companies will be downright eager to cover. First, if you have diabetes, the potential for diabetes, the insurance companies want you to take these drugs immediately, especially after what we saw during the pandemic, which hit diabetics especially hard. Diabetes, too, is one of those conditions that puts you at risk for many other diseases. If your insurance company can nip it in the bud, believe me, they will be happy to pay. Second, if you're obese and your blood pressure is very high, say anything greater than 150 over 90, and other medicines have not been able to bring it down, then you are extremely at risk for heart disease. If you can't get your blood pressure down from conventional medicines, you'll be a candidate for these new weight loss drugs. Plus, there are so many other potential uses for this drug. I mean, they're just starting to explore them. Hey, what if you have obesity and alcoholism? These things can help, and I bet the insurance companies will cover it because alcoholism causes so many other health care problems. Hey, by the way, it can stop you from desiring even two drinks a night. So when it comes to these wonder drugs, you need to think about what they can do for the people who need the most help. I don't believe the insurers will balk at paying like they do routinely for, say, an MRI. But the ultimate price might up to be, be, might up end up being lower, and I doubt they'll cover them for vanity, meaning if you just want to lose some weight without having risks, any health risks. Believe me, they know the difference. Ask, try to see if you can get Botox for free. At the end of the day, the use causes are tested, and for millions of people, it'll be cheaper for the insurance companies to shell out for the new weight loss drugs than to let their morbidly obese members just get heart disease. So today's a day when the junk food purveyors, the anti-diabetes devices, and the alcohol stocks were able to run because the analysts said not to fear this new class of drugs. I say let them run. They're way too knocked down. But once these miracle drugs are mass produced, and they especially once they come in pill form, I think Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk will be much higher than they are today. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last fall starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.